everyone. Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I'm here with Chase. What's up? And we are finally back for a new episode, and this one is going to be good. It's going to be worth the wait, I promise. Probably. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, and it's a particularly scary episode for me because Ooh. tomorrow I have an endoscopy, oh, and I'm yeah. terrified of that. So You have, like, real-world scary problems. So maybe maybe my fear will come through on this episode. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, you seem to have been pretty, like, I can tell you're very worried today because I don't think anybody wants to ever have an endoscopy. And for those who don't know, it's when they put a camera down your throat. They have to put you under anesthesia. So, yeah, and that's always kind of an uneasy process. Like, it's so unnatural almost. It's like, what, you're going to force me unconscious? Okay, sounds good. Let's do this. Yeah, about a year and a half ago, I had my gallbladder removed. So the easiest way for them to go check things out is to go in through the stomach and look around where the gallbladder used to be and make sure (laughs) it's not causing any problems. That everything is good. Yeah. But I'm super excited about my story for today. I've been wanting to talk about it for a while, and it's finally time, so that's good. Today, I've got a uh, Lagunitas Hoppy Refresher next to me, which is, (laughs) you know, non-alcoholic because I can't drink anything because of the procedure tomorrow, but it's delicious nonetheless. Lily, however, can get schnockerpated if she feels so inclined. I am having some Chardonnay, but I'm not going to get super drunk. I still have to do stuff after this, like edit. That one's been on our wine rack for a while. Mm -hmm. It's You know it's special when wine lasts more than a week on the (laughs) wine rack, so Lily's been saving this one. I have uh, for this occasion, exactly. So right, let's get started so I can keep drinking. Okay, so obviously I'll go first. And this story begins in 1470 in Milan, Italy, when mm. Polinus Vorstius, an Italian knight, was... Re- oh. <laughs> what? Already? I know the story. You do not. Yeah. You do? Okay, fine. Wait, 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 wait. So I don't say it and ruin everything. I'm just going to check. Okay, I don't know what that gesture was. Were you being abducted? <laughs> no, like... Yes, okay. Okay. He's making some charades uh, gestures over here because he doesn't want to ruin it for you, but let me continue. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Polonius Vorstius, he's an Italian knight, was relaxing one evening drinking many glasses of wine when later that night witnesses said that Vorstius was beginning to burp a lot <laughs> <laughs> and claimed that he wasn't feeling too well. Nice which wasn't too concerning at the time, considering how much alcohol he had consumed. We've all been there. We've all been there. Except for anyone under 21 listening to this. Yeah, no one ever does that. (laughs) But before anyone knew what was happening, Vorsius burst into flames. The fire was so intense, it was impossible to put out, and he burned to a crisp. This is the first ever recorded case of spontaneous human combustion, (laughs) (laughs) which is what my story is about today. Which I find absolutely amazing because just before we started recording this episode, I was watching one of my favorite shows, Red Dwarf, Mm. and one of the earlier episodes from back in the 80s, it has an instance where they have time manipulation stuff and they start seeing events throughout history, including one of the guys who just walks into the room and bursts into flames from like the 1700s. Does he survive? No, no. The guy just bursts into flames, and oh. then the, the crew member who sees it goes, oh, it's going to be one of those days, isn't it? It's great. <laughs> it's a comedy, by the way. It's, okay. it's, he's not a psychopath. <laughs> or maybe he is. Still a comedy. Although Polonius Vorstius suffered greatly, and the incident perplexed everyone that knew him, his case wasn't actually recorded until 1641, 170 years after his death. So it'll be accurate. Yeah. 
you know. A Danish medical doctor named Thomas Bartholin included in his writings about bizarre medical cases. He had interviewed Vorstius's uh, family, and they were it would provide a lot of detail, actually, because the account is so memorable, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and sure. so they, they obviously claim it's exactly the way it was told to them, and they don't change anything because there's no need to change something so strange. <laughs> <laughs> there's no need to embellish here. So a quick definition on spontaneous human combustion. It's when a body spontaneously bursts into flames without being ignited by any external source. It's also not uncommon for either hands or a foot to be left intact while the rest of the body is completely cremated. In addition, when victims are found, there is no evidence of any movement. So like, you know, most people, if they caught on fire, they would probably run around before they remember to like stop, drop and roll. Sure. Well, these people, they're just like either sitting down or kind of lying down or whatever position, like usually they can determine this by the way the remaining parts of the body were laid that it there wasn't much of a a fight for their life so that's also very mysterious just let it happen they just kind of just let it go i don't know uh this phenomenon has been documented for over 500 years and just within the last 300 years there have been about 200 cases reported i first heard about this when i was a small child watching one of the most terrifying shows at the time, Unsolved Mysteries. But of course. <laughs> and I think like most of us, I developed an unhealthy obsession and paranoia on the subject, which after researching this topic more in depth, I can say that it was no more comfort than I hoped. <laughs> <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> As I mentioned, there have been at least 200 known cases reported, and I have gathered some of the more famous stories that I'm going to share with you today. This is the story of Nicole and John Millet. I think it's Millet because I think it's French. Is it M-I-L-E-T? M-I-L-L-E-T. E-E-T? E-T. Yeah, I'd say, I think I'd pronounce it the way you are. I don't know if that's right, but that, eh. uh, you and me, we, we see eye to eye We are on the this same one. wrong. That's what I, how I pronounce it, because <laughs> okay. otherwise it's Millet, and that sounds terrible. That doesn't sound French at all. <laughs> <laughs> In 1725, Nicole and Jean Millet lived in France where they both ran an inn. One night, Jean went to bed while Nicole stayed up late and drank alcohol in the kitchen. Okay, there's a big pattern here. Well, let's just let's just well, point it out. We're going to find out if this pattern continues. <laughs> right. Um, around 2 a.m., Jean woke up to a strange burning smell. He ran downstairs into the kitchen where he found a pile of ashes on the ground still emanating smoke. What the hell? Yeah, the only thing remaining from his wife was her skull and a few other bone fragments. The floor below her had completely burned away, but the straw bed and wooden objects around her were unharmed. Like, they were intact, not even damaged. And what year was this again? This was 1725. Okay. Unfortunately for John, he was convicted of murder and given the death sentence. However, after the trial, physician Claude Nicolai Lecat stepped forward and explained that he was staying at the end at the time of the incident and vouched for Jean's innocence. Claude was able to convince the court that Nicole had died from spontaneously combusting, something that the court thought was too strange to not be true, and Nicole's death was declared as an act of God. <laughs> Jean's conviction was overturned, and he was set free. So he Stupid actually... court. <laughs> That's insane. I'll allow it. I wonder like if someone listening to this is like, hmm, the perfect murder. The perfect murder. It's kind of a lot of effort because you got to really plan it just right. Of course, this one was obviously 
older to like from the 1700s. Sure. So it's going to have some like a lot of doubts, but something more recent. This one happened on July 2nd, 1951 in St. Petersburg, Florida. Mayor Reeser's son, Dr. Richard Reeser, was at her apartment visiting. Before leaving that evening, he saw his mother take two seconal pills, which is a mild sedative to help her sleep. She also informed him that she planned on taking two more before bed. Unfortunately, Mary would never make it to bed. She dozed off in her chair and died under mysterious circumstances. Now, a lot of this information I did get from BuzzFeed, but after I saw that episode, um, the uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved, I mean. Of course. Every, almost every single article was pretty verbatim and consistent on the findings and how this story is told. So I would say this is pretty accurate the way I'm going to tell it. And there aren't, there aren't a lot of wiggle room or other interpretations, to be honest. Sure. So that's kind of cool. The following day, around 8 a.m., Mary's landlady went up to Mary's apartment to deliver a telegram she had received in the mail. She recalled smelling smoke and noticed soot in the hallway that led to Mary's apartment. She knocked on the door, but there was no answer. When she tried the doorknob, her hand seared at the touch. Mm. Alarmed, the landlady ran to get some help. Firefighters who were first on the scene commented that they couldn't stand the heat emanating from her apartment once they opened the door. Nothing could have prepared them of the horror they witnessed when they entered the room. There in the chair, and on the ground, beside the chair, was Mary's cremated remains. The skull that sat in the ash had shrunk to the size of a cup. Wait, what? Yeah, that was a quote from the article. Um, And then when I tried to look up for any kind of measurements or reference, it was always like, it shrunk to a cup size or something like that. Whatever that means to you. But my guess is it's going to be significantly smaller than a human skull. So here we go. Some bones from her spine were also found among the ash, but the worst part was her left foot was still intact. The skin was not burned, and her foot was still inside her black satin slipper. A team of investigators were brought in, and this is what they found. The body was indeed cremated, which experts said that the body would have needed to reach anywhere between 1,400 to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 760 to 1,093 degrees Celsius, and burn constantly for three to four hours. Oh, wow. That is a long time. Well, it gets weirder. Okay. (laughs) Mary's immediate surroundings were hardly affected. For example, the chair that she was on was located in the corner of the room, and the two walls behind the chair had no damage or even paint blistering from the heat. Like no indication. Nothing. The ceiling was covered in soot all the way down to around the middle halfway point of the wall, but the lower half of the walls were completely fine. Really weird. That is weird. Yeah. The light switches were melted, but the outlets were completely unharmed and remained functional. Candles were found in the windowsill had completely melted, but the wicks were still intact and standing upright. Wait, like the wicks were still really small like the candle had burned down or you had like... You had a six like, inch wick and no candle around it. Exactly. That's weird. The candle wax. It, so it's suggesting that it wasn't literally on fire, but it was emitting enough heat to where the candle wax would melt. But the the wick itself, you know, the wax string or whatever wouldn't have been altered. This is where I go. Hmm. <laughs> hey, right, these I, are things they're finding. All right, so. All right, all right, all right. And another thing that obviously that was noticed, anything that was flammable, for example, a stack of newspapers nearby was also completely untouched. Police interviewed the landlady and she recalled smelling smoke around 5 a.m. that same day. 
but thought nothing of it since it never got particularly strong or or just anything that she thought was alarming. Other neighbors were interviewed, but they couldn't provide any useful information since uh, they had no idea there was a fire at all. There was nothing to report. Wow. Detective Cass Burgess said that the case was perplexing and nothing like from any of the 30-plus fire investigations he had been involved in during his career. One detail in particular he could not make sense was the skull shrinking, which I think a lot of us Mm -hmm. are really (laughs) baffled by. He said that skulls usually swell or explode during a fire, but never shrink. He ended up writing the FBI a letter, and he said in it, quote, Dear Mr. Hoover, this fire is too puzzling for the small town force to handle, end quote. The FBI agreed, and they stepped in to help. Wow. Dr. Wilton M. Krogman, a professor of physical anthropology at the University of Pennsylvania, said he was amazed and baffled and could not conceive of such a complete cremation without more burning of the apartment itself, end quote. So I say it's really such a strange scenario that even people who are involved in these kind of cases like that are normal fires or just, for example, this guy, the physical anthropologist, could not make sense of it, which is very interesting because it's such a rare instance in itself. It'll make you wonder if like evidence they've received or been told feels like maybe it was tampered with. Like when things don't add up, it can be weird. Well, maybe, but... I mean, the FBI was involved, and there are a lot of pictures, because this is, again, it's not like it's the 1700s. There is a form of capturing evidence. Did putting you it in. see the pictures? I saw some pictures, yeah. Did you see the candle wicks? No, I did, <laughs> I did not see the candle wicks. Did you see the tiny skull? Uh, no, but I did see her foot in the ash. That was really creepy. Like, did you, what did you see? Like, they said it was still in the slipper, so it was still in the slipper, the picture It was saw? black slipper. Yeah, you can and see her foot. See, like... It's kind of like just above the ankle down, and it looks just like, like a foot. Yeah, skin, not burned skin at all. Do you see like a comical, like pure white bone sticking out of it? Like it's a <laughs> like it's a Halloween prop or something? No, there was, I, I could not recall, so I'm guessing no. It was just kind of more ash right next to it, everywhere around it. It was black and white as well. Uh, the image that I that I looked at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but you did see the ash. You saw all that stuff. So, yeah. Interesting. Evidence was collected and sent to the FBI for analysis. Uh, those items included the chair she sat on, the rug below, items affected by the fire, and soot. The results showed no evidence of combustibles, but the rug did contain melted fat. I mean, that was expected already. Yeah. So the question still lingers, what caused the fire? One step is to assess the surrounding materials that were flammable or could have caused a fire. The chair material was investigated, and the company responded with a statement that claimed that stuffing wouldn't have caught on fire in such a fashion. More likely, it would have smoldered for a while, but the material was not particularly flammable. And they did this on purpose. This is kind of one of their things. Mm -hmm. They don't want houses to catch on fire, and they don't want their chair to be an accelerant. Yeah, absolutely. This uh, was a dead end. So investigators turned their attention to outside causes, either accidental or even intentional. One theory was lightning. Kind of makes sense a little bit because of the light switches being burned. Was she near a window? I don't believe so. Well, maybe if the candles are on the windowsill, but that's a bad place to put candles because they'll melt in the sun. But um, Well, not enough, apparently, but who knows? she the top floor? I don't know. I'm guessing she's at, she's probably not the bottom floor is my guess. And, uh, but yeah, so 
they were thinking maybe lightning, but I'm, I don't know if there was even a storm that night. There was no mention of it. But aside from that, there was no other evidence suggesting because the lights did work still and there was no other internal damage within the wiring. Sure. So they ruled that out. Other theories were introduced, but none were taken as seriously. For example, Detective Burgess said that he received a letter which said, quote, a ball of fire came through the open window and hit her. I seen it happened, end quote. <laughs> I seen it. <laughs> so there was like no other information given. <laughs> It was also unlikely a chemical accelerant was in the apartment because, or rather on the body, like kerosene, a thermite bomb, or magnesium and phosphorus elements probably weren't involved because, as the coroner would have mentioned, that they do leave like a unique odor with the body. Mm-hmm. So that would have they, been- They'd probably uh, leave trace elements too. Yes, but that would have been like your first sure. indication and one there was not even, there's nothing. Another wild theory was that someone kidnapped her cremated her body in a second location, then brought her back and tried to stage a fire. Poorly, because that would explain why it was so strange. But again, there was no evidence of anyone else being in the apartment. Yeah, like, that's the thing that we should show the most obvious evidence, especially since the rest of the room was fine. Oh, right. Like, yeah. But like no footprints, no, no forced entry, no struggle. Like there was so many things that were so wrong. Or rather, they wouldn't match up if someone else came into the house. So if it was staged, we're talking the greatest murderer of all time. Of right all here. time. He's both an idiot and a genius. <laughs> a genius. Get it. Because <laughs> I'm like, there was no other way to do it. This is what you chose. <laughs> Got it. The biggest lead that they went with was that it was an accidental death caused by a cigarette. When interviewed, Mary's son did reveal that his mother was smoking in her chair before he left the night before. It's believed that Mary must have fallen asleep on the couch while smoking and subsequently caught her clothes on fire. This is something fire investigators call as the wick effect. Once her clothes were engulfed in flames, it allowed the extremely flammable fatty tissue to ignite. And then was she a rather large woman? She was not small, I think. But she wasn't like, whoa, you're going to totally catch on fire fat, (laughs) whatever that means. But they don't really say, you know what I mean? I think maybe she didn't have the best diet, if that's what they're referring to. Yeah, the doctors don't warn you about that. You know, they tell you about all the things that happen when if you're overweight. They're like, increased risk of heart attack, (laughs) sleep apnea. They don't say, and you'll burn really fast. You know, they should tell me that next time, because then I'll be like, whoa, maybe I should go on that diet. We'll see. (laughs) Don't catch on fire. (laughs) That's a note to all doctors. Start saying that. Although this theory does make sense, it still does leave certain questions unanswered. Like, for example, the skull. I'm never going to let that go. Yeah, that one's really weird. And the burning patterns. It's just so, it's so weird to me. So just remind me in case I'm just confusing this with the first story. Okay. Was she also a heavy drinker? Um, As far as I know, she was not drinking. Okay. She was smoking, though. Because I know what you said in the first two, there was drinking involved. <laughs> so I was like. Yeah. Maybe some people do some sort of weird metabolism with alcohol and they're just like ready to burn. Yeah. And now one thing that they didn't mention, and maybe because of of its time, it wasn't mentionable worthy. I don't know. I don't know if the that Italian knight was smoking as well. I don't know if that other woman, what was her name? I forgot her name. She, you know, from the 1700s, if she yeah. was smoking. You know what but I mean? you said she was drinking. She was drinking. Yeah. She was in her kitchen drinking and maybe she let a cigarette and you know of course anyone that knows or who drinks you can get a little careless but again never mentioned the smoking so we don't know 
it was too long ago for big tobacco to cover it up so yeah exactly so i think everyone was smoking and be like well why wouldn't she been smoking why would we mention this i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i just imagine everyone smoking we're all smoking <laughs> But let me tell you some more stories so that way we can maybe decipher whether or not smoking is involved. But of course. In December 1966, Don Gonzel, a gas meter reader, drove to the house of Dr. Irving Bentley early one morning. Dr. Bentley was a retired physician who lived alone, but wouldn't have been home because he was going on a trip, which Gosnell knew, but still had access to the basement, which is all he needed to do to finish his job. When he reached the bottom of the steps, he noticed a pile of ashes on the ground, accompanied with a strange odor he could not identify. He described it as being, quote, sickening and sweet odor, end quote. Definitely sounds like the descriptions of burning human flesh. So gross. He then looked up and saw there was a hole directly above the small bits of ember still burning around the hole. He first thought maybe the fire department was already here and cleared out the area and possibly Mr. Bentley was okay. I mean, he was interviewed. So by the way, this is from Unsolved. Sure, sure. And he kind of went on like, but why would they leave this mess here? So there you know was what I mean? a still charred, smoldering hole, hole above, above his the head. ash pile. Right. So Gosnell was like, I'm sure the firefighters were already here. Mm-hmm. But he was perplexed because he's like, why did they leave this mess? And also, why didn't they secure the area? Because usually there would be some sort of possible yellow tape or something to prevent people to just walk I think, in. I think there still would have been firemen there if there was still like but he was, But he thought maybe it happened a long time ago. I don't know. This was like his reaction. Mm-hmm. And because of this, because he found it so strange, he's like, well, I'm going to go into the house. I'm going to see what's going on. He checked every room or rather he was trying to look for where the hole was from because he wasn't too familiar with the with the layout of the house. And he realized it was from the bathroom because when he entered, he saw Dr. Bentley's partially discolored leg and a partially melted walker right next to the hole that led into the basement. Wait, what the? Wait. Okay, I thought... The ashes in the basement were him. Are you saying he died upstairs and like bits of him fell through the hole? Uh huh. Yep. Only the ashes fell through. Like what actually completely cremated. So his leg and a melted walker was still in the bathroom. And those were the only parts that were really damaged or found to be damaged by the fire. Because everything else, the house was fine. The bathroom didn't seem to be completely burned away. It was just very isolated. An investigation was administered, but they ultimately landed on it being accidental. No evidence of foul play, but what they did learn was that Dr. Irving had been known to accidentally set his pockets on fire after putting his pipe in his pocket. According to people that knew Dr. Irving, he always carried a box of matches in his robe pocket too, which is what he was wearing, or rather believed he was wearing, at the time of the fire. Wait, so you're telling me this guy... (laughs) So regularly, I mean, lit his pockets on fire by putting a pipe in it so regularly that he was known I think, by his peers as that guy who lights his pockets on fire. I think what maybe is happening is like he he would have maybe slight embers in his pipe and he would just put it in his pocket and then maybe like tiny bits would create little holes. And so he people would see these holes and be like, oh, he just put his pipe in his pocket. And maybe he put in a pipe one day that was a little too spicy and ended up engulfing his entire body. Still very crazy scenario for it to be that the reason. But in this case, I don't know. It kind of seems like it's leaning that way. All right, let's go through the checklist. Was he a drinker? (laughs) No, no, there was no mention of drinking. 
Was he uh, generous poor proportions? <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know. I didn't see. They didn't have a picture of his before. All right. Uh, when I saw it. But when I did, or rather when they were talking about it, it didn't seem like he was big. I don't know why I imagined in my head. Was, Maybe I read something. Was there any evidence of lightning? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing like that. Had he pissed off God recently? <laughs> That I cannot <laughs> confirm nor deny. Okay. All right. This is perplexing. <laughs> this oh, is. man. He just finds a leg. That bothers me, man. Well, it's kind of, it's shitty because that poor guy, he was just like concerned. He's like, I don't know why there's a whole fire here, but I'm going to go find out and make sure everything's okay. Anyway, enter leg. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I didn't need to see this today. Yeah. Poor guy. Now, the next story here is of George Mott. On March 26, 1986, in Cram Point, New York, Kendall Mott went to his father's house, George Mott, after calling several times but never getting an answer. So wait, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. I can't be the only one that when you say their last <laughs> name is Mott, all you think about is Mott's apple juice. Mott? I did think about that the first time I wrote it. That was yeah. my jam growing up. I it's love pretty, yeah. apple juice. And I just remember always having the little cardboard boxes of moths <laughs> when I was a kid and thinking it was like the greatest thing that ever happened to drinks. Yeah. Yeah. It's solid. I Sorry. I've, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to put a little levity on the mood because I'm picturing disembodied parts and yeah. smelling like burnt spam. And I'm like, I'm really grossed out right now. Yeah. Sorry if anyone's eating and Oops. horrified because <laughs> now I know that my, uh, my weight condition might mean that I might burst into flames at any moment. Oh Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> She's looking at me like, that's what I'll tell the cops. <laughs> right. I, I have so many ways of killing now. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Oh, so yeah. So Kendall got to his dad's house, George Mott. And after calling several times, he never got an answer. His father was a retired firefighter who had a lung problem. And he required an air pump with a mask to oh, okay. help assist his breathing. Kendall, Which means oxygen. Oxygen is flammable. Oxygen is flammable. Yes. And I think he was kind of, well, this is an air pump. I think it's different. I don't think it actually requires an air, uh, like an oxygen tank. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. Now, Kendall knocked on the door, but there was no answer. He surveyed the house and noticed that many of the windows had a brown coloration to them. When he opened the door with his own key, he noticed that the door handle was very warm to the touch. Looking inside, he saw it was dark, smoky, and it smelled like something was burning. Frantically, he searched for his dad, and when he got to the bedroom, he saw only his remains. All that was left was a piece of skull and other bone fragments in a pile skull, of man. yeah, in the pile of ash. The bedsheet surrounding the body was left undamaged, all except for the area where George would have been lying. So there was kind of a humanish shape of mm-hmm. burned, but all that remained were his ashes. Yeah, so just very. Very weird, because again, there wasn't any struggle. He just kind of, he kind of laid there, it seems like. Now, George used to be a drinker and a smoker in his life, but he had since quit in his later years, especially since he required a breathing aid. Still, though, skeptics claim that George might have decided to smoke that night, fell asleep with a cigarette in his hand, and accidentally caught on fire, which I can totally see the logic in that because of his past, but... You would have to assume that he was smoking again. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. That sounds kind of, how do I say this? Like, just because you were a smoker doesn't mean you're going to smoke again. Yeah, yeah. And in this kind of instance. and Just with to his, assume a failure uh, of, of his. I think it's just like, I think I got a little mad because I don't like it when people speak out of, char- like, someone's character. And his son never said that his dad was smoking again. But who knows? 
people are flawed and it's like it's that very scene possible. in the beginning of the crazies when the first guy who gets infected with the weird zombie virus walks out oh, and everyone just yeah. assumes he's drunk even Again. though he had been sober for like 10 years yeah everyone's like oh you're just drunk but no he was a zombie no he's like no 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 he was sick <laughs> and if i ever get confused for being a zombie when i'm drunk i'm i that was my way of learning. I need to stop drinking because apparently I'm a really weird drunk. Yeah, with a shotgun apparently, <laughs> which was from the crazies, by the way. Okay, so here we go. Let's get into some statistics. Okay. Since many skeptics insist that it's caused by, or spontaneous human combustion is caused by smoking, I decided to look into it. According to the National Fire Protection Association from 2016 to 2021, the estimate annual average home fires caused by smoking is 18,100. And on average, 590 people are killed because of those accidents. Wow, that many. That's a lot. That's a lot. That, that is a whole lot more. And than now that, history. again, this is the mean from all the years that were gathered. So sure. this is like an average. I would think that at least one of them, because there's so many, would resemble a spontaneous human combustion pattern. If spontaneous human combustion was indeed accidental caused by smoking incidents, then why aren't we seeing it more with yeah, these kind of things? I would anticipate Does that make sense? Before. Yeah. But I guess... Because all these people smoking, they all can't be fit. <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> like, true. I'm just going to put it out there. But I'm wondering if these are just the super, super rare outliers where a situation is just so perfect. The, the right location, the right materials of stuff around them that smolder but don't burn and won't spread fire that allows it to stay isolated. But the reason I get doubtful of even that theory is the number of times where part body parts are left behind. I was like, why right. would it stop at the... Like, if there's no obvious thing being wrapped around the body part or something to arrest the the burning. Right. Uh, the fact that that happens a lot, to me, feels like it happened really, really, really fast. And then why is the skull always there? Not the, always. Sometimes they're fragments. Um, and then only once, from what I was able to read, did the skull actually shrink. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Again, I, I just feel like everything is just so off. Like when you walk into a room and nothing and, and something doesn't feel right, it's like that of a story. Where you're like, I know there's logic between it as far as like smoking and this guy keeps putting his pipe in his pocket. I get it. <laughs> but like it still doesn't quite fit. Yeah. I don't know. It does make me wonder about all the times stuff like this may have happened, but maybe they happened in like a small town where and they wouldn't have where the people right. wouldn't have reported it higher because they're just like, oh yeah, he just accidentally lives off on fire, but they know nothing about what is normal with a fire, so they just write it off. So maybe oh, there's yeah. a lot more situations like this we're just not hearing. And about. granted, this is like statistics that I got from just the United States. Yeah, just the United States. So I don't really know what's going on everywhere else right now, except for that Italian guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so my next story could throw a wrench to some skeptics. On February 11th, 1996, Kay and Mike Fletcher were drinking coffee early in the morning around 9 a.m. when Kay noticed smoke coming from her body. She immediately started taking off her sweater, thinking she had caught on fire. Her husband examined her body and noticed there was a large red mark on her upper back, but no blistering that he could see. Or any other indication of burning. So all he could feel and see was smoke coming out of her, but there was a red spot. Was the smoke coming specifically from the red spot, or was it coming from her all over? Well, she was moving around a lot, so she was kind of freaking out. Okay. But what he could tell at the time. 
I mean, did he feel her forehead? Because <laughs> for things to smoke has to be a lot hotter than the human body should be able to survive at. Oh, right. And I agree. Um, but I don't, as far as I know, no. Sure. Kay examined her clothes to see where she caught on fire because she was still convinced that happened. But there was absolutely no damage. Her husband said that after she took off the clothes, the smoke continued to emanate from her body. There was so much smoke that they had to open a window. Mike confirmed that the smell was distinctly human flesh because he used to work at a crematorium. So he was pretty familiar of what that would smell like. Luckily, Kay didn't continue to burn, but the couple still have no idea what happened. So this is a very, a very weird situation. What I find weirdest <laughs> is that he used to work at a crematorium. Suspicious. Starting to think this is another murder. <laughs> He's like, how can I burn living people? Yeah, and apparently he has a time machine, which is really rude to not share. Because he would have had to gone back in time to accomplish so many. <laughs> At first I was like, he's like a super villain. And then in my head, I was thinking he'd call himself because of the crematorium. Like the creminator. That's, that sounds really <laughs> awful. I was like, that has a completely different connotation and we cannot use that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that is not going to be the title of our it sounds, <laughs> episode. Yeah. The creminator. <laughs> Yeah, that's really horrible. Oh, my. Chances are you might even edit that out. You're like, no, we're not doing the creaminator. (laughs) Not staying in. We've said it. So if we accept this uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just thought of the creaminator again. (laughs) We always think of the creaminator. (laughs) If we accept that spontaneous human combustion can be true, then there has to be some sort of scientific explanation. Of course. Right? Like there has to be something to it. Yeah. One theory is that bodily fluids still contained in the body turn into gas, like methane. The body fat would burn long enough to melt organs and bones, according to this theory. To ignite, it theorized static electricity to be the cause, as well as possibly combined with obesity, alcohol consumption, stress, bacteria, or or even its own cells. We're going to die. We're so already (laughs) dead. Alcohol, obesity, (laughs) stress. Oh, oh. Uh, brain cells. Just <laughs> Well, we don't have too many of those. Don't worry. In New Science Magazine, there was an article by uh, biologist Brian J. Ford that talked about how a large number of acetates could lead to spontaneous human combustion. These high numbers could be caused, again, by alcohol consumption, diabetes, and a change in diet. So like the Atkins diet, uh, that does cause high acetate. Yeah, when you um, go into ketosis. Right. That's why a lot of people's breath starts smelling pretty terrible when they're on Atkins and on keto diets. Just like any glucose-starved diet, basically. Yeah, because you actually start producing these chemical compounds, and they they like to leave through your mouth. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Now, the following information I did get from Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stacks. Larry E. Arnold, who wrote the book Ablaze, The Mysterious Fires of Spontaneous Human Combustion, was interviewed, and he had an interesting theory of what causes spontaneous human combustion. Oh, do tell. Let me tell you. He believes that an electrical current which naturally flows through the body could be the cause. More specifically, he says that these subatomic particles called pyrotrons... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, Uh, band name, calling it right now. (laughs) Pyrotrons. We are pyrotron, (laughs) and we're here to light you all on fire. (laughs) I would so mosh to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so these pyrotons, that when the levels were high enough and become agitated by either stress or anger, for example, the amperage would spark and ignite the electrical current causing the body to burn from the inside out. Now, I do want to clarify. As far as I have read in any article that references Arnold's work, it is heavily criticized. Maybe because it sounds like the guy has no scientific (laughs) credentials. Uh, And that his theory has no scientific basis and that it's revealed that Arnold doesn't have any official scientific training. (laughs) As as was obvious when he said the energy created by pyrotrons. I was like, oh, so we're just making stuff up? (laughs) We're just going to enjoy the ride, okay? The guy should work in politics. Yeah. In his book, he also includes information from over 400 documented cases. And I was shocked to learn that a surprisingly large number of these cases were from survivors. So he is trying to gather actual things. So that is Wait, pretty accurate. Wait, survivors, you mean kind of like that girl who went Exactly. Off- so even though um, she never actually burst into flames completely, there were signs of maybe igniting or whatever. Have and- there been people who did actively burst into flames and what do you mean? survived? Oh, any survivors um, where the ignition point happened? So I did not read the book, nor did I venture into research of 400 plus cases. Yeah, judging I, by his uh, his scientific methodology, I think it might be a waste of your time to read the book. I was just curious, <laughs> though. So here's the thing: I know people can be crazy, and they come up with their own theories, and this is just like what he believes. Mm-hmm. And he he says in himself, he's like, I don't have a lot of equipment, or he's like, I challenge scientists. And he did say this in interviews. He's like, I really wish scientists would conduct more experiments to somehow mimic a lot of their own theories. Like for example, if it really was caused by cigarette burns, well, can you recreate this scenario? Because I feel. Like they wouldn't be able to. It's a very so, difficult thing to recreate. It is. You it need, is. I mean, obviously, you can't take a living person, but no. you would need. Uh, you <laughs> no, need like a cadaver or something. You would need, but you need a fresh cadaver. Yeah. Because the minute it gets old, its its chemical composition. Oh changes. yeah. Exactly. You would. You would need a lot. And but here's the thing. And and when he says it that way, I don't mean like. Does he understand that this would be difficult? Probably. But he's not opposed to being. Proven proven wrong. wrong. He's just like trying to figure out his own way as best as he can. And this was his own theory. He does say that his primary focus is to collect uh, data. Yeah. So that's a little different. With that. Yeah. Exactly. So it's when he asserts his theory (laughs) that I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, Just gonna push that aside and read the rest of the thing. So it's fine. Now, conversely, Joe Nickel, Nickel, I think it's Nickel. From the Skeptical Inquirer magazine, who was also featured in Unsolved Mysteries, rebuted Arnold's claim and holds that all cases are smoking incidents. He said the following statement, which I kind of thought was funny. Quote, there's no convincing scientific evidence of it. So the mystery mongers ought to shut up and get a life. End quote. <laughs> he literally said this on Unsolved. Oh, he's angry. He's, he was so mad when he said it, too. I, I could not help but laugh. Unfazed by the criticisms, Arnold will always continue, as he said with his research. Now there is some pretty cool history that references spontaneous human combustion that I found. And I think I'll share. So these are other influences that may have sparked interest in (laughs) superhuman combustion. Uh, It was obvious, but I had to do it. It comes from Charles Dickens serialized novel, bleak house. In one of the stories, an alcoholic landlady, Oh no landlord, by the name of Mr. Crook spontaneously combusts and is reduced to ash all while his apartment is completely unaffected by the fire. The concept of spontaneous human combustion was immediately met with criticism from close friends. 
claiming that it was a scientific impossibility mm-hmm. and that there was no way something like this is true. However, the average reader believed it could happen, mostly because Dickens' fictional writings often did have realistic topics like smallpox, tuberculosis, and other horrible medical conditions that are terrible. Dickens responded by citing real spontaneous human combustion cases, along with quote-unquote recent, relative to him, scientific findings regarding oxygen acting as an accelerant. So there were already a bunch of people that knew about this, tried to come up with theories, and people like Charles Dickens put it in his book to see, you know... Maybe this is true. Who knows? Just play with it. Just kind of play around Michael with Crichton it. did a little bit. He's like, I've heard some things. Yeah, I've heard I'm some gonna things. I'm going to write a story about this. <laughs> and I'm citing it. I don't think it stopped the skeptics, but it did further influence the average reader in believing that spontaneous human combustion could be real. Dickens wasn't the only author to write about it. Mark Twain and Herman Melville also introduces the concept into their stories. So it's kind of cool to know that Unsolved Mysteries wasn't the only thing to traumatize people. Like, it's been constantly brought up. And oh, I think probably enough to to scare generations. I think if the idea of inexplicably bursting into flames doesn't scare you, that's <laughs> yeah. where, like, I, and I don't mean because you can't rationalize it away, because that's fine. That's normal. Like, sure, we can sure. all do that when we think about it. But if you just let yourself believe for one second it could happen to you, that should be absolutely terrifying. In the same way that, like, a meteor could come out of the sky and hit you in the head, like, is it likely to happen? No. but Could if, it happen? Yeah, but if I it doesn't mean, scare you, the idea of just randomly bursting into flames for no apparent reason, that should be scary. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It should be very, very scary as I sip my wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's flammable, right? Mm. Now, by the 18th and 19th century, it was believed alcohol was the primary cause of spontaneous human combustion. So this was kind of written in theory. This is it. This is probably what's happening. It was also assumed that alcohol transformed into a flammable gas inside the body and a minor spark would have caused the fire. So the so it could be external, it could be whatever, but you would have had enough gas inside yeah. to, to ignite. There was even an official list created by a physician that showed which alcohols were more likely to cause spontaneous human combustion. The most dangerous was gin, then brandy, whiskey, and lastly rum. So vodka and tequila drinkers, you're good. <laughs> Drink up, girls. I have a feeling those stats have to be skewed, <laughs> especially considering all of these are, at least in the United States, defined as 40% alcohol by volume, meaning they should all have the same. The equal parts, yeah. yeah. But and maybe there was something different or rather. I think it might be how they're being consumed. How and how being... often. Gin probably would have been very popular at the time. And I've been like, well, this seems to be a pattern and not really look into how much what's being consumed exactly. by who. how many people were drinking tequila yeah. at this time in the U.S. And it's like, yeah. Exactly. I did see in one article that older, overweight females who drink alcohol are more likely to be victims of spontaneous human combustion. And with that... That's profiling. I le- <laughs> <laughs> with that, I leave you um, that maybe I'm next. Who knows? Let's hope not. But if you are enjoying a nice wine and the pants from last season's don't fit, you might want to rethink that next drink. And don't wear robes. Don't smoke. Don't store your smoking peripherals in your robes. <laughs> yeah, or um, anywhere that is cloth material. Yeah, I mean, just going to say this straight up, uh, you know, as a millennial, <laughs> I am in the generation where we decided that the few people who do smoke should not smoke indoors. And that's a good thing because it means you won't 
accidentally fall asleep with a cigarette. Right. And you'll um, be more likely to take care of the scenario, mm-hmm. like the, the product. You won't just leave it on the counter or something. So I've definitely, whenever I've heard about spontaneous combustion being discussed in a serious manner, mm-hmm. it has pretty much always been theorized that it has something to do with smoking. So I've kind of just assumed a yeah. lot of them are. I, I don't know if that's always the case. Some of these older ones sound particularly mysterious, small skulls and all that. But I remember I watched man, many years ago, I think it was a documentary or something that had to do with spontaneous combustion. And a lot of people's criticisms were, well, if you're lit on fire, there should be some sort of struggle, some movement, some freaking out. And I understand. Yeah. But I am unfortunately privy to information to suggest that, that is not always the case by a long shot. Really? Now, this is the moment that if there's young ones around or whatnot, you probably don't want them to hear that this. So stop it and you can listen to this on your own because this is a I mean, bit- it's worse than a disembodied leg with ash. Well, no, but this is morbid because you don't want the you, you don't want kids to try to look this up online. Oh, my. Uh, I have seen uh, especially a couple in very recent time. More than a few videos online, unintentionally, but you know how the internet be, particularly, of people burning to death. Okay. And all of them seem to be accidental, including one of a very, very, very drunk or high homeless guy walking down the street, and his entire stomach was on fire inside. Like, he was burning out from the inside, and he was walking around like he was just drunk. And people were going, oh, my God, what is happening? And it was full of people in the comments who were saying, like, I work as an EMT. This isn't the only time that we've seen this. When a lot of their pain receptors are turned off and everything, they don't notice it. But they're, like, essentially a walking corpse at this point. Um, What the fuck? So why was he burnt? Like, what happened? Oh, I can't remember exactly what it said in the comments, but what would happen. But I saw it. Like, I saw it with my eyes. I saw the video. It was terrifying. And also recently there was a very bad semi-accident on the highway. Uh, Mm. And I saw the video of this because I was just like, oh, yeah, I want to see the semi-accident. But I did not notice because I didn't read the comments first that when the semi had its accident, it exploded in flame. It was a tanker truck and it was absolutely fire. So I was just looking at this giant burning explosion like, oh, wow, as as a car is driving by on the highway, I'm like, wow, this fire is crazy. And then all of a sudden you see it. There's a guy walking through it completely on fire, but he's walking... He's probably just in shock. Is yeah, what you normally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in the comments, you find out that was the driver. Oh, shit. And he was not panicking. He was not flailing around. He was just kind of moseying around, but he was completely engulfed in flames. Yeah, like he was, he was going to die. Yeah. And so I think the assumption is if these people had fallen asleep, mm. doesn't matter what cause. I, I'm not debating the cause of why they ignited, be it a cigarette, be it something else that we're not discussing, some sort of electronic pyrotrons or whatever they're called. Pyrotrons. If you're asleep and then you come engulfed in flames, it could be one of those things that your your reaction isn't going to be like if you're very conscious that you're about being burst that's, in flames. That's totally fair. It can overwhelm the fire. You can breathe it in immediately, and that actually makes you become unconscious once again, asphyxiation. And I think or, maybe just the shock of being on fire. Uh-huh. You know, like, what do I do? And then before you know it, you're totally engulfed. And I think, but see, that's kind of what always gets me a little bit too, because I guess, I, I don't know, maybe clothes is a lot more flammable than I realized, but to be totally engulfed in seconds, because this, again, I get the tanker. You know what I mean? That was full of gasoline. Yeah. So well, it was something flammable. Or whatever. I don't know what it was, but yeah. Right. And, or something like that. And that would have given him no time to react. Yeah. And he would have already been in shock. His body would have been like, we're not even going to register this anymore because we're going to die. 
And, but with some of these people, I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, well, for example, like that one woman, she, her back was starting to burn mm-hmm. and she did start flailing around a little bit and she did not catch on fire right away. She was also conscious when it And she happened. was conscious and she was not drinking. She was drinking coffee, which is not flammable as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And her husband was around. So I think like with these other people or these other incidents, I, I don't know. With the Italian guy, there were, there were witnesses because his parents were in the kitchen with him. Sure. And a few other people. And they did see that he just like burst into flames, like totally and completely. Granted, this was in the 1400s, so we can't really verify or anything like that. But I mean, but maybe you're right. I think I'm just trying to go off tangents here and I'm trying to make sense of something that is absolutely nonsensical to me. Yeah. It's, there's too many, there's too many details that aren't lining up and it's just, it's too weird. I don't know and, enough about it. And I would say that it is rare enough that that is both a good and a bad thing. Right. The bad thing is that it's so rare, it's hard for us to have enough pieces of evidence to try to figure out what's actually happening or even have it like captured on video. But that's also a good thing is that it's so incredibly rare <laughs> that even if it is completely explainable, it's unlikely to happen to you or people you know. Right, even, which if, is they, a good thing. even if it's figured out and not just skeptics saying that it's always cigarettes. And, and also be able to explain what kind of environment is required for these kind of conditions to exactly to manifest, then I find that comforting also kind of terrifying. But at the same time, you're right. You're like, well, am I still going to worry about this either way? Because uh, they're so weird. <laughs> like, would they even happen? I don't know. But yeah, so that's, uh, that's my story. It's a good dose of fear. Let's hope none of us burst in flames tonight after listening to this story. Yeah, put down your cigarettes. No, put out your cigarettes. Yeah, smoking can kill, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, in many, many ways. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break before we get to my story because today I'm also covering stuff that's inexplicable. <laughs> so uh, let's take a quick break and we'll see you guys after. All right, everyone, I got myself another dangerous cup of wine, and I'm super fucking excited for Chase's story because it's been way too long since I've been freaked out. (laughs) Yeah, I actually think this one might work for you. (laughs) So, all right, listeners, it is finally time. Last month was a pinnacle moment that will forever change the future of conspiracy theories and UFOlogy. Quite a few of our listeners have been wondering when I was going to get to it, and here it is. It's time for an end of episode encounter, counter, counter. I'm so happy right now. One of the most difficult things about discussing UFOs is quite simply that a considerable portion of the population are automatically going to assume that you're weird or a conspiracy nut or any number of unflattering things. And sure, some of it makes sense. We all agree that one tooth bob down the dirt road who claims to have been abducted 14 times and receives radio messages from the future (laughs) is probably crazy. One tooth bob. One tooth bob. (laughs) Two tooth bob's a different guy. Yeah, he has way more sense than teeth. (laughs) Twice as many. (laughs) But unfortunately, these outspoken eccentrics have made the field of UFO research less than flattering. That's one of the subjects discussed by a NASA presentation given back in late May. The very same NASA that rarely comments on UFO sightings outside of the occasional proof that they have been debunking them. Only this presentation had a considerably different tone than ones we have seen before. What was once seen as a taboo subject for scientists to discuss within the walls of NASA seems to be changing these last few years. And this presentation served as a way to not only share what they had been working on, but to demonstrate their current ideological shift. 
Now, don't misconstrue this information. NASA hasn't gone out and said that aliens exist or anything like that. In -hmm. fact, they very much still hold the idea that most unidentified aerial phenomena likely has reasonable explanations. After all, the All-Domain Anomaly Research Office, the recently formed group of the Department of Defense, claims that only about 2 to 5% of the nearly 100 monthly reports are actually mysterious. But they can't deny that the sheer number of sightings from credible sources that have come out in recent years was at least worth a moment's consideration. In fact, NASA has devoted a notable amount of funding and personnel to UAP research. It's the latest move to demonstrate that at least some sections of the U.S. government have an interest in full transparency. In the months that followed, lots of buzz was amassing over a planned governmental hearing on UAPs. Plenty of people doubted it would even happen, and if it did, it would be behind closed doors and the public would remain in the dark. Oh, how wrong we were. (laughs) Yep. On July 26th, the House Oversight Committee held a hearing on UAP phenomena. It was public, the video was made online, and it was quite a doozy. Now, (laughs) I consider myself a skeptic with an open mind. Which is quite the shift from episode one, I'd say. Ah. (laughs) I love to look at people's evidence, no matter how outlandish, but I really only pay extra attention to the compelling ones. So far, I haven't had any proof or evidence to make me a believer, but I'd be lying if I said this hearing wasn't one of the most compelling things I've heard on the subject matter pretty much ever. There were several high-profile members testifying at the hearing, the first of which was former Navy fighter pilot Ryan Graves. He has over a decade of active experience in military flying aircraft, and he claims to have experienced UAPs firsthand. He claims that there are a lot of UAPs in the skies and that encounters with them are extremely common and go heavily unreported. Of those that are reported, the biggest issue is that the reports are often kept secret and not allowed to be publicly disclosed. In 2014, he was an F-18 Foxtrot pilot in the Navy Fighter Attack Squadron, and he was stationed at NAS Oceana. He mentioned that after they upgraded their radar systems, they began to detect a high number of UAPs in their airspace. They were able to correlate these detections with other sensors on their systems so they knew it wasn't radar glitches. So during a training mission just off the coast of Virginia Beach, quote, two F-18s were split by a UAP. The object described as a dark gray or a black cube inside a clear sphere came within 50 feet of the lead aircraft and was estimated to be 5 to 15 feet in diameter, end quote. Wow. There was no official acknowledgement of this report, and he went on to claim that UAP interactions after this became so common with his group that they became a part of the standard briefs before flying missions. Weird. I want to think about that for a second. He said, you know... We're talking, you know, professional pilots, and it's not something in the distance. You have all these people saying, oh, that UAP, it's something, it's like it's like a bug on a camera or it's any of this stuff. And I'm betting most of the time this is true. Sure. But he said, you know, he said these planes came within 50 feet of this object. <laughs> 50 feet is very close, especially when you're in a plane. That means you have visual confirmation. You can see it with your eyes. Right. It's no longer a trick of the camera or anything like this. They could literally see it. And after this happened, they were seeing so many of these occurring during their training missions that they said, we're going to brief you pilots and let you know, we're seeing a lot of stuff up there. We don't know what it is. So don't be Be alarmed or, I mean, be alarmed, I guess. Be aware more than anything. Yeah, that's terrifying because if someone told (sighs) me when I, the next time I go on like a flight, some city, they're like, yeah, so you might see weird stuff out the window. We don't know what it is. (laughs) 
But I just wanted you to know we've been seeing a lot of weird stuff recently. Yeah, and this you is will too. Terrifying. And I mean, keep in mind, like I said, this this was a hearing, a House committee hearing. Yep. This was put online. This is in front of government officials. These are in front of Everything's elected being officials. Recorded. Everyone's recording this. And this just happened uh, like a month and a couple weeks ago. Right. This was a big deal. This didn't get a lot of news coverage. We'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway. So he also went on to help found an organization called the Americans for Safe Aerospace, and it has become a way for people to report and discuss their UAP interactions, many of whom are current or former pilots, both commercial and military. Many of the reported sightings are corroborated from multiple sources, but he does acknowledge the issue could either be foreign military drones or something explainable like that. Okay. But he also said it could be the kind of thing that we need science to explain, meaning it could be weird. He seems to have had firsthand knowledge of this. He didn't straight up say these were aliens. He said, I don't know what it is, but this needs to be addressed. We need to talk about this. This needs to be open and transparent. Right. There was also testimony by David Fravor, Fravor, a retired naval commander. In 2004, he was a commanding officer for the Flying Aces. What was supposed to be a training operation off the coast of California was suspended and turned into an active mission. They were directed to home in on various unidentified objects by air traffic control. These objects had been detected for several weeks and were shown to originate from 80,000 feet, descend rapidly to 20,000 feet, and stay at that altitude for extensive periods of time, and then all of a sudden return up to 80,000 feet Mm -hmm. rapidly. He claims that it was a perfect weather day, and so they, as they were homing in on the detections, they noticed a lot of white water on the ocean surface. Okay. So this is off the coast of, of San Diego. So they said he said that was weird. There was a small concentrated area of white water. Oh, I see. Okay. As they got close to it, they made a visual ID on the unknown object, and this was one of those mysterious Tic Tacs. This oval, round, capsule-like thing with no wings, no obvious propeller, no exhaust, and it was moving around inexplicably. Right. And as they got really close to it, all of a sudden, it bolted away from them at rapid Uh. speed. So rapidly, the aircraft in the vicinity pretty much immediately lost contact with it. They have no idea. And then about a minute later, air traffic control contacted them and said, yo, no, we still have it. It's 60 miles away. Holy shit. That's 60 miles in a minute, which in, you know, U.S. units (laughs) is 3,600 miles an hour. Right. So, yeah, that was a moment. And and you're hearing this from a commander, an experienced pilot who's like, yeah, we don't understand what happened here. It was very, very weird. I mean, it still amazes me. And I, I totally am always completely... I don't know if enamored is the right word. Um, I've, this is my second uh, glass of wine right now. But impressed of how these people keep their composure. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're oh, still yeah. reporting. They're like, this is probably the weirdest fucking shit I've ever seen in my life. But we're still going to keep our cool. I would be crying. But that's <laughs> a different story. I'm clearly not a soldier or a, uh, a pilot or anything. So a few years ago... A couple of these Tic Tac videos were leaked to the public or made publicly available. How I, I can't remember how it came about. And they are weird-looking videos for sure. It, it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to see. It's aircraft camera footage. It's kind of hard to look through. Right. So, you know, you can watch those if you want. However, what made this more interesting is that 
David Fravor claimed that even though the video footage is made public, the one thing that was not made public was the radar tape of the incident. He said the radar oh. tape was never made public. In fact, it's gone missing and they <gasps> don't know where it is. And the radar tape is the most compelling evidence because it shows, in his words, that the object put on an active jamming to the <gasps> aircraft in the area. And so he what? said our aircraft were actively being jammed by whatever this weird thing was. You know, could that be interference? Of yeah, any could kind. that yeah. be an enemy drone or something like that? Maybe, but that was a problem. No obvious official report or actions were taken after this incident. Mm. In 2009, he was contacted by someone investigating at the Pentagon for a program ran by a Lou Alessandro. This resulted in an unofficial report being released that can be allegedly read online. He called it a official unofficial, meaning uh. it got leaked and they're claiming it wasn't official, but it looks like it actually was an official report. Wow. A few years later, Alessandro contacted him directly to ask him about the incident. And a few weeks afterwards, Alessandro apparently left the Pentagon in an apparent protest, meaning he wasn't happy with how things were going about this investigation, and then helped form the Two Stars Academy with several other people, one of which is a guy you know. His name was Tom DeLong. <laughs> I do know him. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny to be watching this House investigation meeting, yeah. this like big government thing, and to hear Tom DeLong mentioned yeah. In it, I was like, wait, what? What a fucking world we live in. Yeah, for those of you that <laughs> don't know, Tom DeLong is more famous for being one of the guys from the band Blink-182. Yeah. yeah no yeah, joke. Yeah. In fact, he is so obsessed with UFOs, like this is his thing, that it was one of the reasons that led to him originally leaving the band. Yeah. For a while. Yeah, I mean, he he's mentions back in he wanted now. to focus on his other endeavors. And apparently he's been quite busy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, so. the, the Academy has worked to interview high-profile officials and investigate issues relating to UAPs. His main concern was that he wanted full transparency and an effective implementation of checks and balances to ensure that these incidents are not only investigated but disclosed appropriately. Or, mm -hmm. But David Fravor wanted this. That was kind oh, of okay. like why he was testifying in front of the House. Sure. As exciting as both those testimonies were, the world seemed to fixate on the third, and for good reason— this testimony came from David Grush, now retired. Grush was an intelligence officer for the United States Air Force for 14 years and held the rank of major, after which he worked for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and he was asked by the agency to co-lead an unidentified anomalous phenomena, UAP, as well as transmedium object analysis. He was also tasked with reporting his findings to the UAP task force, as well as the all-domain anomaly resolution office, which we talked about earlier. Grush asserts that he was asked to identify any and all highly classified government programs related to UAPs. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of stuff, but we'll, 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 we're going to cut it down to the important things. Okay. What this means is that he was highly qualified, that he was working for the recently formed and public government task force meant to research UAPs, UFOs, all that. And after deep diving and doing research, he became a whistleblower when he mm. filed an urgent concern report to the intelligence community inspector general. He did this after he found, quote, concerning reports from multiple esteemed and credentialed current and former military and intelligence community individuals that the U.S. government is operating with secrecy above congressional oversight with regards to UAPs. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. 
So real quick for those who don't deep dive into UFOs and all this alien stuff or didn't watch X-Files growing up like we did. <laughs> I was like, this sounds so familiar. Yeah. Um, Fox Mulder is having a tiff right now. Exactly. The thing that we need to mention is that the U.S. government, like all governments, is a bureaucratic nightmare. The idea that the people up top know everything that is going on couldn't be further from the truth. This applies to all things from the Social Security office to educational budgets, all the way to classified research. The point being that there are a lot of government programs that are running without major oversight from top people in the government. Mm -hmm. There are elected officials. They aren't given a booklet that tells them all the super secret stuff right away. And even if they ask for it, they may not get anything. It's, right. A lot of the stuff can be hidden. There are classified programs started decades ago that are so buried, it's almost like they are autonomous programs. It's not unreasonable to assert that people like the president, head of the FBI, or Pentagon officials don't know about. It's scary, but it's pretty obviously true. Former President Obama even mentioned on a TV interview some years ago when he was still president, or right after he was president, that he had to specifically look into and request information about what the government had on UFOs because that sort of information was not part of his presidential brief and was not provided to him. And it's not even something that they would have ever uh -huh. mentioned unless, I guess, he asked. And so when he was in the interview, they said, well, what did you find out? And he said, I can't tell you. <laughs> Damn it. I think that was Obama, be, you know. Being funny, but I believe it. Like, the idea that the president... But he wouldn't have been able to tell even if it said, we don't have any information. Like, that still would have been classified, that phrase. And my assumption is this guy right here, David Grush, he probably found out information of stuff that even any of the most recent presidents never had information on. They were never right, given right, this right, information. Right. Yeah. And so, you know what's funny? Like, I... Maybe it's because when I'm getting older, you know, when you're young, you think the president knows, like, literally everything. No. He's like the smartest and richest guy. One, none of that is true. And of course, he's not going to know everything that's going on in the government. I mean, that is so much to yeah. even deal with in oh, yeah. such a one or two terms, whatever, however long they're in presidency. But so whenever someone says like, yeah, the president didn't even know, I'm like, I'm not even remotely <laughs> fucking surprised. <laughs> well, but I do think it's important that a lot of people have a lot of misinformation when it comes to presidents, what mm. powers they have, what they're allowed to do. And I think this just fits right in with that. Exactly, that, yeah. You know, let's just, if we just take for a moment and say, hey, aliens exist, but it's all super top secret government stuff, how many presidents know about this? My assumption would have been probably none that are alive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just saying. And um, even, and what did they tell him? I mean, maybe when Obama requested this information, he didn't word it correctly. And they're like, we'll just give you... The most recent or well, some of it. Or the people or he talked to, they got all the information they could, but it, it just, there's so many different levels. They, there's they just many don't layers. Know. Yeah. What did that, what did those people get? Layers. Yeah. Like an onion? Like a parfait. <laughs> like a parfait. <laughs> so just as teenagers had entire mini lives hidden from their parents, so too does the government. In this instance, Grush discovered some dirty secrets. His testimony before the committee had some alarming stuff, which he claims he verified through, quote, compelling evidence in the form of photography, official documentation, and classified oral testimony, end quote. Because Grush was partly responsible for presidential daily briefs, he had high-level clearance. This gave him notable access to information and makes his credentials significant. Grush claims, quote, I was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program to which I was denied access to those additional read-ons, end quote. Mm, okay. So that's him saying, we were finding stuff, we were retrieving it, and we were reverse engineering it. What stuff? 
Well, I was like, I know, it's still so vague. I'm going to keep going. Oh, okay. <laughs> when questioned, so so by the way, all three of these guys' testimonies were only like five minutes, but then they were followed by an incredibly long question and Q&A session. Oh, okay. And it was both enlightening and frustrating. So, so As when, I would anticipate. Of course, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when Grush was being questioned, he claimed that in addition to Crash UAP craft, the government also acquired several, quote, non-human biologics, end quote, <gasps> from the craft. So I very specifically did not read any of this information. So mm-hmm. to me, even though this already happened and maybe people already might know these details, this is horrifying. This is, this is, ew. Yeah, and so it was when he was directly asked by one of the House members, did you ever find, they were, they were in, the, in very delicate words, they're saying, did you, have we found aliens? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, there were living things or formerly living things discovered in these crashes, and they weren't humans. That is so fucking scary. This is in front of the house. (laughs) It Like, this was a live public government hearing from a very high official guy who... So they... Okay, so this was part... Okay, again... Avoided literally everything watching because I know we had actually had some friends send us video. You yeah, you guys can all watch and this video. And I purposely online. did not look at it because I knew you were going to cover it. And so now I feel like one, I, I've been out of this loop. I cannot believe I managed to not hear any about this. No one did. Um, and it's not because it wasn't out there. No one was listening to this because everyone is so obsessed with the dumb political turmoil of you know, the political stuff that's going on between the right and the left and all that stuff, which we avoid in this show. But that is so prominent right now in the media. That's all anyone's talking about. That's all anyone is that when this happened and it got out, you you saw some like video getting posted online, Mm -hmm. but within a day it disappeared. No one wanted to hear this because it had nothing to do with any of the political officials that are in the scandals that are going on right now. No one wanted that. Everyone has a one track tunnel vision mind. And there's a part of me mm-hmm. that thinks that this was intentional, that thinks that this was geared to be timed so perfectly so that it could just disappear. Well, but I mean, it was it, public video. Yeah. I mean, I've seen like funny memes about like, oh, aliens exist. And then people, and we still don't care because our planet is dying or whatever, insert immediate problem kind of thing. I've seen those memes or like those uh, mm-hmm. gifts and things like that. But I just thought they were being funny because of the of the interview. I didn't know what was revealed. So the fact that he basically confirmed existence of yeah. alien form or something foreign uh, that is not human is so wild to me that you're right. It's not talked about enough. I would assume this would have already been spoiled for me if it was like, if it's as big as I think it should have been. It had about two days on the internet. Now, I, because of this show, frequent like UFO subreddits <laughs> to, you know, keep on things and they haven't taken a breath since this. This has been a big deal. But <sighs> the only reason this didn't matter is because it didn't have any of the stupid political turmoil that everyone is obsessed with. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff that people are going to forget about in 10 years. This stuff is the kind of stuff that should matter. And when I say that this was made publicly available, I don't mean it's some guy with a camcorder. This was released by the government. All the video that you can find of this is official from like the Associated Press, everything like this. You can watch the entire nearly three-hour house hearing. Is it boring? No, it really isn't. If you care about this, it, it, it it's going to look like a house hearing, though. But when you actually listen the to what they're talking about. The setting is boring because it's like, I'm sure, a row of people asking questions and a row of people answering questions. 
or one guy in the middle sitting and answering. But yeah, like I am absolutely going to watch this entire fucking video. But we essentially have a very, very important guy with incredible clearance who had super important jobs and everything and is now considered a whistleblower just said in front of the house that not only have we been finding UAPs, we've been recovering the crashed ones, we've been reverse engineering them, and that we found non-humans that ha- were retrieved on them. He said this in front of house members, everything like this. This is yeah. not small. This is huge. This is absolutely big. And I still, like I said earlier, I believe that this was timed perfectly because I said this is the perfect time to do it because it will disappear. Yeah, not not enough people will care. Yeah. And if they... At least think- find it interesting. It's it's not even on their radar. But there's more. Oh, my. Yeah. There's more. So he said the recovery of non-human biologics was verified by people with direct knowledge of the program and were still working on it. Like, they were active in it at the, at the time of the hearing. Okay. And unfortunately, Grush had to keep details to a minimum during the hearing. He claims that he could only elaborate in a sensitive compartmented information facility. This okay. is something that came up a lot during the questions and answers, meaning their five minute testimony was them giving the like the basic information and then they were asked a lot of questions. Sure. The number of times they said, I can't say this publicly in this public venue because it is very highly classified. And he said, if we go into a sensitive compartmented information facility, he could answer these questions and, and all the house members with clearance would be allowed in there. But he was like, I can't say this. I can't say this. And I'm like, so it's basically okay. saying I can tell you, but not like in front of everyone. Yeah. And, and the, you won't be able to tell anyone either. And the thing that's important here is that what we're hearing is alarming as hell. So what right. is he not being able to tell us? He didn't see any of the crafts or bodies himself, but he says this information comes from over 40 interviews with reliable and directly involved personnel over his four-year investigation. Okay. The claims Grush made at the hearing weren't the first time that he made these public statements about Mm cover-ups. It's kind of how he's earned the reputation as a whistleblower. One of the most interesting claims that Grush has made was that the first UAP case he received intel on was actually from 1933. Long before Roswell and all other high-profile cases in the public memory. This one, to me, is the really, like, my mind was like, He claims that a UAP craft was downed in Italy and Mm. moved to storage by the Mussolini's fascist government that was functioning at the time. Mm -hmm. In the final years of World War II, either 44 or 45, Pope Pius XII allegedly helped move the craft into (gasps) U.S. government possession. Man, you even got the Pope involved? Uh-huh. I was like, <laughs> man, this is some World War II alternate history kind of stuff. And it's so weird. Because I'm a bit of a World War II buff, and all of a sudden I'm like, I love World War II kind of fiction, like sci-fi alternative uh, stuff. Yeah, kind of like Indiana Jones stuff. You're mm-hmm. like, where did you find this? But he was like, yeah, no, this happened. And so to me, this claim com- came out of left field. Yeah. Like, didn't expect this, and I didn't know what to do with this information. Uh <laughs> So throwing World War II and UFO stuff together just sounds like a really awesome movie, but not like reality. Right. I'm in no position to argue with whether or not this is true. I don't have a lot of the information he does. But considering the position both of the U.S. and Italian government that they were at at the end of the war, it does actually make sense, assuming, of course, there actually is a UAP. But I think that the most compelling thing here is that a UFO crash in this instance breaks two of the conventions that most skeptics hold on to when they complain about UFO reports. Right. Number one, 
this wasn't in the USA. And most people find it fishy that all UFO stuff seems to always happen in the United States. Or and England. that's a valid, but it's valid criticism. People are like, sure. why are UFOs always in the USA? This one says, okay, it breaks that rule already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gives a really valid reason why the USA was able to get possession of this. Right. And number two, it predates Roswell. Because a lot of people, their biggest complaints say, all this is just post-Roswell, it's all hysteria. You're all like, you know, copying this scenario. It's and now that's in the public conscious it. and everything. Yeah. yeah this yeah. is before that. Yeah, so it didn't get any influence from anything, is my assumption. Well, no, I mean, there was plenty of UFO stuff that happened before that. But no, I meant from mo- Roswell. Most of the high-profile stuff was Roswell and later. But yeah, we have we have UFO stuff from the late 1800s that do mention gray, little gray men. Yeah. Um, th- that stuff was weird, though, and it wasn't public. It wasn't like in the mainstream public's consciousness. Like Roswell was the one that really brought the idea to a mass mindset. Like that's how a large portion of the population got exposed to the idea of aliens. Mm -hmm. So anything before that kind of breaks the rule that a lot of skeptics have. They say, why is it always in the USA and why is it always post-Roswell? Where's the pre-Roswell stuff? We've covered a lot of pre-Roswell stuff on the show already and I will, and I'll keep going with it. But Grish conducted an interview with News Nation the month before the hearing, which contained even more information. While discussing some of the UAPs, he claimed, quote, a lot of them were very large, very large, like football field kind of size. I remember interviewing these personnel and thinking, either these people are lying to me, having a psychotic break, or this is some crazy but true stuff that's happening. And I have no good explanation that's prosaic at all for this because this is not explainable by swamp gas, St. Elmo's fire, a ball of lightning, etc., This is like tangible, technical craft we're seeing up close and personal in some cases, end quote. Even more alarming is that he claims the government retrieval program has given access to these crafts for research and development purposes, which brings up all manner of ethical and moral questions, but I guess capitalism reigns supreme. He was saying that the government has found certain companies that Uh they have agreements with that they're giving access to this. But like, I'm assuming these people are all all high level clearances and everything like this, but it's kept very secret. Right. That is so, so wild. (laughs) So I couldn't help but remember the episode of Doctor Who when they ran into (laughs) the powerful guy in a secret base under the ground in like Utah. Oh, is it the one that was like really rich? Van Staten, yeah. Yeah. Who claims that broadband came from the Roswell crash. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, First off, that's a ludicrous idea. Broadband is not complicated. Like, <laughs> it's it's really not. It, 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 if broadband's mysterious to you, just look on the Wikipedia page. It's it's not that complicated. It's it's impressive, but it's not the kind of thing you'd get from like reverse engineering aliens. It's not like a bizarre new fangled mm. idea. It was just the next obvious progression and stuff we were already doing. But it still brings up this idea that some really bizarre high tech stuff that we do could be reverse engineered. You mean like the kind of stuff that, you know, a lot of people do comment on our advancements being pretty rapid, rapid, you know, from when we were just in wagons to going to the moon. That time frame seems to be quite short. Yeah, but the reason I'm not too worried about that is all these advancements are not only well-documented, but by their people who are are. completely unrelated and all over the world. (laughs) And they often involve very particularly unique people like Nikola Tesla, who... They just worked a little differently. Maybe he saw all of this and went a little crazy. Yeah. Who knows? A lot of our massive advancements we've done in the last, I don't know, 150 years are actually due to a very small select few individuals. Yeah. That if it weren't for them, we'd still be in covered wagons and, <laughs> you know, going to the sock hop. So. Oh, the sock hop. 
And for any of you X-Files fans, he even made claims that there were numerous white-collar crimes, malevolent events, and killings done over the years in reference to these classified projects. Mm. This was even addressed in the hearing, but he was not able to give details, once again, in okay, a so public setting. Okay, so he does setting. mention it. Okay. Yep. He said, I can't <sighs> talk about it in a public setting because someone, uh, one of the House members specifically asked him, has anyone been harmed because of these projects or by knowing information? And he said, I cannot go into it unless Holy we're in a secret shit. setting. Yeah. I think the most important claim he made in the interview was, quote, there is a sophisticated disinformation campaign targeting the U.S. populace, which is extremely unethical and immoral, end quote. Had I heard this 10 years ago, I probably would have rolled my eyes. But as we now know, and we just mentioned earlier on this podcast, the role of news media and social media has led to bizarre societal shifts, often more impactful than I would have ever imagined. I am purposefully avoiding political topics on this podcast, but I can now say that I am now no longer surprised what people will believe or deny these days. Right. I completely believe that if UFOs existed, it is entirely within the realm of possibility that effort was made to discredit the concept to make it easier to conceal. And I hate to say it, but I would believe it. Yeah, of I course. Mean, I'm so shocked at how much social media and the internet and the way the news works now has is so different than how things worked 20 years ago mm-hmm. that the idea that there are people who are using disinformation in whatever context and it's working, I now fully, fully believe. I used to think, oh, this is just government brouhaha. Everyone's being paranoid. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, God, this. <sighs> I mean, it was always used to manipulate the population. I think that's kind of strange to me that you didn't. I meant, in a, I meant in such a broad way where they could say, we're going to, we're going to hide the fact that UFOs exist. I meant, you know, it could, you could do sways in like political favoring over mm. particular topics. That one I was, I would always be willing to accept obviously and see it. But I mean something so massive as spending the last several decades since before you and me were born mm-hmm. doing everything you could to manipulate it to discredit UFO reports. Like the idea was, well, these do exist. We're hiding it because we're doing all the research on this. But we're going to do everything we can to make it look like everyone who sees and does and whatever all this is just a crazy person. And I would have said, oh, yeah, that's what crazy people would say. And now <laughs> I'm, I've seen enough things where I was like, God, it might work. And I hate saying that because it makes me sound nutty. Right. But I'm as I'm getting older and seeing what's happening, I'm realizing, God, it's not as nutty as I thought it was 20 years ago. I just it was so easy to sway anyone. I mean. Myself included, when I was younger and just watching the news, you know, you, you believe all these things and and they say certain like subject matters so with such conviction. And I remember this as a kid, like even medical stuff, like caffeine will kill you, and you're like, fuck, that sucks. The whole thalidomide drug thing, right? Or and it, all the number of things. And then when you get older, they're like, eh, not really. I guess if you're having like twenty cups in an hour, you could suffer a heart attack, but it's not going to cause a heart attack. That's not necessarily the case but i don't know i always knew ufos were real like <laughs> i'm not saying as, ufos are real i'm just saying this is <laughs> this is the most compelling evidence i've been well, given right now. yeah like to me it's something that i can never shake away like i know there's something out there and i'm not saying like yes those little gray aliens are 100 percent i'm terrified if they exist but i'm not saying that's what's happening but i do think like like you just reported just now, that there's so much being hidden from us. And I think it's just not, and you're right. I think they are 
making people seem crazy or discrediting. It's not absurd. In fact, us crazies have always been saying that there has always been a cover-up. Like, there have been people who have seen things Mm -hmm. and, like, they're just crazy. Don't worry about that. A lot of them are, though. I'm just saying that... Yes, one-tooth Bob, as we discussed. But it does matter when people with credentials... Yeah. So... Which we have a lot of stories with people with credentials being completely discredited or somehow uh, bring something up in their past. They were like, well, they, they might drink or this or that. And you're like, okay, so all this, you know, 20 plus years of training in the military, that's just out the window because he went AWOL. Do you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that's how articles are writing these kind of people now. Yep. And I, and I, I just always thought it was suspicious. Well, and relating to that and the question that you asked earlier about what happened to this guy, uh, he, I mean, he's still here. He's oh still yeah, here. yeah. This is only month and a week ago, plenty of experts have weighed in to try to counter any of Grush's claims. The problem is, since his specific facts were withheld in favor of disclosure in non-public forums, Mm -hmm. they really don't have anything specific to negate. They were so eager to contradict everything he said that they didn't sit down and go, hey, do we actually have any evidence, solid evidence he's given us? Like, Sure. Their claims about his claims being uh, lame are faulted with the same issues that they're throwing at him. You don't have any evidence to refute. All we have is this guy's reputation and yeah. his reputation is a big one. And because of him becoming a whistleblower, he has become the subject of harassment and death threats from a multitude of sources. Most of the counter arguments being made seem to be aimed at discrediting him, mm. but rarely with anything concrete. There was even a government leak of his health record detailing some of the PTSD and depression struggles he had after the war in Afghanistan. See, I told you that they're going to dig things up to discredit. I That's just what I'm saying. I don't want to sound too tinfoil hat myself, but it does sound like a huge effort is being made to discredit a single person. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he really wasn't reliable, he wouldn't have evidence to give the House committee in private. That alone should be enough. But the fact that it isn't, if he, if his health issues were such a problem, he would not have been given the high-level clearances that he was given to do this investigation because all right. this happened afterwards. If this really was a problem, he couldn't have gotten this access. This felt like a deliberate attempt to discredit him. Whether it's like, oh, exactly. he has PTSD, and then you're going to have a lot of people go, oh, yeah, he's just got mental problems now because he was in a war, which was is an incredibly disrespectful and rude thing to say to people who And it was go long enough, if it was such a problem, and he was in war, and it was whatever changed his brain to crazy, as they're trying to indicate, then why was he even in this briefing? Why were you even going to believe anything he said? Why exactly. was he even there? And he, the idea is that he has evidence to give them in private. And, you know, if all the House committee members came out and said, oh, yeah, we talked to him in private, he's he's full of crap. Well, then I might not even, I wouldn't even be sure if I believe the House committee members other than, ooh, they might now need to be discrediting him for whatever reason. Oh, oh right, blah, 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 blah. exactly. But I think the, I think the real issue here is they're immediately trying to discredit him people are trying to discredit him that he's getting death threats why would he be getting death threats i was gonna say that's really weird to me who's I'm, who's threatening like yeah what who's is- like we need to kill you for this i was like eh, a death threat is usually like psychopaths who are obsessed with celebrities or in this situation it's like i need to stop you or like they're trying to say you know their beloved president insert this did that i can see how like you said, kind of like celebrity status. Like you're talking bad about someone. He's not talking about anybody. Yeah. He's just saying this is more information that literally did not exist. And yeah. now you have. And I think 
I think at all, like the end, the most telling of it all is he talked about how he had death threats and we, we have the government trying to discredit him. I think the most compelling thing to me, and I've, I'm now like a broken record saying it again and again, <laughs> is the fact that this massive monumental news appeared. It showed up on social media for like a day or two and then disappeared, I think is the perfect example of this trying to be covered up. I think they're yeah. do- the problem. I have a feeling that social media channels were compelled to not propagate this to people's feeds, everything like this, to try to not make it a big deal and push the political drama that everyone's obsessed with. You know, once again, we're not going to detail that political drama. If you don't know what it is, it means you haven't turned on the TV. And I envy you. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. If we just ignore all that political drama, this should be talked about, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen more compelling evidence that there is something going on here. And this is when I feel like I'm a tinfoil hat guy because yeah. I don't know if UFOs exist, but after this hearing, I am now 100% convinced there is a massive cover up. I don't know what they're covering up, which means they're doing a good job of it, but there is a massive cover up happening. And right. I never thought when we started this podcast I would ever say those words out of my mouth because I usually roll my eyes at that. But I'm like, yep, something, something's happening, something that people are keeping hidden, something big, and I don't think a lot of people know about it. I think a few very important people know about mm-hmm. it, and I don't even think who these people are is known to many people. I'll never know who it is. You kidding? No. I'm, I'm never going to know what this is. This stuff is probably going to far outlast my life. And that sucks, but yeah, it's going to happen. It. I, I'm pretty sure uh, the only person who knows a significant amount of this are the people who work in the government and maybe Tom DeLong. Tom DeLong probably knows more. Because he's he made some friends. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but you can't tell anyone. And, and unfortunately, Tom hasn't told us yet. But I, I don't know. I This is all very horrifying. Because like, even though I believed all this already, there was a part of me that wish it wasn't true because I'm so scared. Like aliens scared the shit I out of me. I knew it was going to scare so you. So it's kind of like one of those things where I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Like I totally believe in it. But if they actually do tell me it's true, I might not be okay mm-hmm. <laughs> afterwards. Yep. Um, and that's kind of where I am. It's kind of like, you know, um, I don't know what happens to the world if they're like, no, there literally are demons. We have proof. We caught one. You're like, oh shit, that fucking sucks. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, it's terrifying. It's super fucking scary. Yeah, and I think the most terrifying thing to me is whatever is going on. I, I love that we've got all these new government organizations that are trying to make it transparent and public. I don't have high confidence that it's going to go anywhere. I, I agree, yeah. And so I think whatever's going on, this might be that little flash in the pan that we hear about. We might talk about it for years, but we're never going to learn anymore. I just think that's what's going to happen. I mean, he wasn't able to give anymore. This is as close as we've gotten as regular civilians with absolutely no clearance. This is as far as we can get. Yep. And it's sad. (laughs) But it's also terrifying, like you said. And so that's my story. It was scary. That was your end of episode (laughs) encounter. Seriously, if this stuff matters to you, if you actually really care about this stuff, I know plenty of our listeners that I'm positive are into this. If you haven't seen the hearing, watch it. It's over two hours. See the full one. It's worth your time. These three guys testifying, they sound like legitimate. They know what they're doing. They sound intelligent. They sound well-versed. They know this stuff. It, It isn't 
crazy people testimony. Like, go go watch it. It's worth your time. Right. I have it. I saved the video. Mm-hmm. You don't have to find it on YouTube. I can give it to you, Lily, so you can watch it on your own. I you am absolutely going to be watching this on my free time, just randomly, instead of doing anything productive. So I guess all I have to say is until our next episode, try your best not to get abducted. Yes. By either aliens or men in black. <laughs> try or not, anyone, Try really. not to burst into flames. Make sure you keep your pyrotrons at bay. Yes. And if you smell smoke and the doorknob, doorknob. is hot, call <laughs> the fire department. Do not try to open the door for the love of God. Yeah, call the fire department because... It's probably a very dangerous situation, and at the very least, you might see a dismembered burnt limb. And who wants to do that? No yeah. one. So I think that brings our episode to a close. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us at Hair of the Werewolf. If you have any comments, questions, please drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. To any new listeners, we hope you enjoyed it, and make sure to catch our next episode or deep dive into any of our other episodes. For our longtime listeners at work or driving, have a safe day. And for those of you that are drinking, we hope that your tomorrow isn't too rough. But if it is, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. See ya.